Welcome back to week six in the series we've called Character Matters. And uh, we've been going through the great men and women in the Old Testament and learning from their lives. And I think you're going to be really excited about the installments that we still have yet to go. We're going to hear about Moses next week, that great leader Moses from Pastor Jeffrey Johnson. Uh, the week after, Dr. Ivan from India is going to talk to us about the bravery of Esther. And India is a country where Christians are persecuted today. And to hear from his perspective on this particular woman is going to be an incredible weekend. So I hope you'll be here for that. We're going to talk about Noah. And all of these characters are linked together by a proverb that we find in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. You'll see it on the screen and you can find it in your notes that are in your program. I'd love for you to follow along with me. But the main premise has been, quit asking God to give you all the plans. How many of you have ever had God lay it all out? None of these great men and women knew really what God was totally up to in their life, but he was working on their character. And as their character developed, God made them successful people. And they would look back having lived their lives and they would say, what God did in our character is what led us to success. The scripture says, commit whatever you do to the Lord or commit who you're becoming, what you're doing today. In spite of, you don't know where you're going, but commit what you do to the Lord and your plans will succeed. I'll make you a person that walks into the will of God, that receives his guidance, that just actually lives out the plan that God has for you, the success he has. And it's been incredible. I wanted to finish the series with the character Daniel and talk about his character, but I'm going to give Daniel an entire series. We're going to take this character matters through August, and then starting in September, I'm going to lead you through a series right through the book of Daniel. And the reason is, is back in uh, Easter, I asked you to tell me, what do you want me to talk about the most? And by far, most of the questions had to do with what in the world is going on? What are the days... What does the Bible have to say about the days we're living in and what does prophecy have to say about these end times and are we living in them? Well, Daniel had a vision of the future and you'll be shocked to realize how much of what he saw is exactly what's going on in the world today. And if he got that right, then the things he has to say about what is yet to come are, we can guarantee that those will happen as well. So it's going to be fascinating as we open up God's word and see what he had to say from the past about the very days we live in. The other kinds of questions I got a lot had to do with, how do I live in this culture? I mean, this culture the, that, that has already too many shades of gray, how am I supposed to live with these values? Everything's shifting. So what am I supposed to do? Well, Daniel was a young man that culture was trying to squeeze him into its mold. You can't have your name. We're going to change your name, your identity, your God, what you eat, uh, your values, and Daniel was able and his friends able to resist pr the, the pressures of culture, and yet they did it in such a way that they kept being elevated, the respect that leaders had for them. So there's a right way to resist, so we're going to go through that book. I think it's going to be one of the best series we've ever done. I'm getting ready for it now, all this time to study through the summer, and I just bring this all up to say, who are you going to invite when we get into the fall in September, I want you praying about who you'll invite right now. Like, I mean, people who don't have a church home, people who are far from God, people who are discouraged, maybe someone has no place to go, and you start thinking, if there was a time I would invite them to come to church, it's going to be this September, because what I'm going to talk about is so related to what's happening in the world today, especially when we talk about the values, and then we talk about what's happening in the Middle East and everything. So it's going to be right on target. 
please don't underestimate the the influence and the power of your invitation. Last Sunday, remember, if you were here, I closed the message on Joseph, which was all about don't give up. And during the prayer, if you, some of you remember, I just prayed, that I, I added this little thing. I don't usually do it, but I said, and if you're watching online, um, will you pray with me right now? If Don't give up. Later that night, I got an email from a man who lives in Minnesota who's never been to this church. A few years ago, a woman who used to come here moved to Minnesota, gave this man a CD of a message, invited him to start watching. It just happened that Sunday. He was watching. He was writing me to say, I was ready. I had made a decision. Today was the day I was giving up. And then I saw this message, and it's changed my life. And he wrote to say thank you. So everybody say hi to Joe in Minnesota. Give a shout out. We're glad you're watching. <laughs> I want to tell you, just the, just the impact your decision can make, okay? Whatever, whatever you do, it will not go unrewarded. I'm telling you, God can do something with just a little invitation. So pray with me about God, how God could use all of us together uh, to reach the people in our spheres of influence, okay? All right, so let's jump into this and let's talk about Rebecca. Rebecca, the daughter-in-law of Abraham. Abraham, the great man of faith that we looked at in the very beginning, whom God said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. Your descendants are going to be so numerous that they're going to bless the whole world, more than the sands on the seashore, more than the stars in the heavens. I'm going to bless the world through you. The only problem was he was like a hundred and his wife was barren and God taught them through a series of lessons. I always come through. And you remember that when the message came that Sarah was going to have a son, she laughed. And God spoke to her and says, listen, is anything too hard for the Lord? I was just waiting till it was humanly impossible. And now you're going to have a son a year from now. And sure enough, they had a son, this son of the promise. And they named him Isaac, which means laughter, which means every time they look at him, they just laugh like, <laughs> like you're unbelievable. Like, no way, ridiculous that we had a child at this age. And they praised God and they called him laughter every time they saw him. He just brought joy to their heart. Now, fast forward in the story about 40 years. Isaac is now 40 years old and he's not married anybody yet. And so Sarah and Abraham have some, a small amount of anxiety in their heart. It's amazing how God can do great things in your life in the past, but then we worry about the stuff in the future still. Here God had given them a son at 100 and so on. And he's 40. He's a young pup by that standard. <laughs> but according to them, like they're starting to feel the pressure. Like if he's not got a wife and he's 40 years old and we won't have a grandchild and the promise and the dream's going to die and they were anxious. How many of you feel the clock ticking in your life today? There are times when you're going, I don't know if it's going to happen and time's running out and the meter's running and you're wondering if God's going to ever find somebody for you to love and to love you or maybe there's some other promise he's given and you think that time is short. Well, we would be in good company with Sarah and Abraham who had many good things happen. God did miracles, but they still worried. And part of this problem was their own fault. If you read the story, this is a special child. We're not letting him out of our sight. They didn't let him travel. Like, we're not going to let him go find a wife. First of all, he could pick the wrong one. Secondly, something could happen to him. We don't want anything to happen to him. And you can tell from the story, if you read in Genesis, they kept him a, a little overprotective, kept him a little close, and didn't want him marrying the wrong person. They didn't want him going away to find somebody. Because in that culture, the parents would pick the spouse 
which I think is an amazing idea. I think we ought to bring that back because I got these boys texting my daughters now, and I'm like, you, we feel me right there? We need to like, we need to bring that back. No, you can't text. No, no. So they were feeling a little pressure, some of it by their own uh, responsibility. So they decide that they're going to have to do something, time's running out, and so they put the pressure on the chief servant of their house, a man by the name of Eleazar, and he is like family to them. He's his oldest servant, and he's in the house, and he says, I want you to go back to where we came from. We can't send Isaac there because he may not ever come back. This is the promised land. You go and bring back, you go find a wife for Isaac. Now, you talk about a pressure assignment. Can you imagine? Now you have to please Abraham and you have to please Isaac. Like, you got to go get somebody that mom and dad will approve of for this special boy. And then, on top of that, Isaac's got to be excited. So, hey, Isaac, what do you think? This is the woman I picked for you. Do you like her? Talk about pressure. This man loads up the camels full of expensive goods, uh, gold, jewelry. And then he sets out on this long journey and the pressure and the thoughts, what am I going to do? How am I going to find, how am I going to know which one is the one? And he does what everybody should do and we're handled an impossible situation. We should pray. We don't know what to do and we ask the Lord for guidance. So look at his prayer. We're going to jump into the story right where he is praying to God. God, I need success here. I need help. Look what he says in Genesis chapter 24 and verse 12. He prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, Give me success today. Show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing here beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. So he's made the long journey, and he's out at the outside of the city, and he stopped at the place where there's a well, and the women, the young women of the city are coming out to draw water. He's strategic. But he's still saying, how am I going to know which is the right girl? Can't just be a pretty face. Can't just go up and tell him the story of my master and all of his wealth. Can't explain that we got money in this family. We've got to have a test, right? It's like coming to America. <laughs> like all those pretty girls they put in front of Akeem and he's going, no, I want, a, I want someone who's wise and smart and generous and has character, a woman of integrity, a real queen. That's why he goes to queen, right? Remember that? The queen's here. And he tells Arsenio, don't tell anybody, you know, who we are. Don't let them know because if they know, they may just be after our money. We got to have a character test. Well, that's what this guy is doing. He's going, there has to be a character test. And he comes up with this. This is what he prays. Look at this. He says, may it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, well, sure, drink. And I'll water your camels too. Now, that's the way I will know. Now, that's the test. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal. You're like, what do you mean, water my camels? Listen, this is a big test of her character. You'll see in just a moment. going to explain it. So he's praying. The way I'm going to know which is the one is the one who comes out and, and says yes when I ask her for a drink. And then she says, oh, and by the way, yes. And, and she'll just volunteer. I'll water your camels too. So look what it says. While he is still praying, before he'd finished praying, Rebecca comes out with her jar on her shoulder. I want you to picture this, this strong, beautiful young woman. Strong because this is, picture the Culligan bottle, the big five-gallon Culligan bottle on her shoulder or on her head, okay? I mean, seriously, they carried out like about five pounds, like five gallons of water 
was pretty typical, and she comes watching, walking out, beautiful woman, and it catches the, the servant's eye, and so he walks over, and he says, so hey, can I have, and you notice he says, a little drink, and I think he got a little nervous about his test. He's like, this is just a small thing. Like, can I just have a little drink? And look what she says. I mean, just, just volunteered, sure, and I'll water your camels too. And then she takes it a step farther until they've had enough to drink. And he's like, whoa, I just asked for her to water my camels. And she's going, sure, she volunteers. I'll give you a drink and I'll water your camels until... See, do you understand the, the magnitude of what she just committed herself to? I mean, just let's do the math for a little bit. I, I, I just did some math this week to figure this out. I asked the guys to put this on the screen. Let's just take a look at what she was getting into. Ten camels, right? And the minimum a camel is going to drink after a long journey of a whole day is going to be like 20 gallons of water. That's just the minimum. So you've got ten camels, 20 gallons. That's like 200 gallons of water. She's got this five-gallon jug. That means that, you know what that means for her to, to get 200 gallons of water? That just means she's got huge guns. She is a strong, she is, she's a, she's, and so she gets, she gets these, uh, this, this, I mean, think of this. Just think of the time it takes to go over and put that jug in the well, pull it up, put it on her shoulder, walk over, pour it out, put it back on her shoulder, walk back, do it again. That's like 40 trips. 40 trips, average of about, you know, five minutes, let's say, each trip, not counting for any rest, just as she's going for it. Conservatively, we're talking almost three hours, maybe a little more of her time. So a little bit of a, hey, can I have a drink? And she takes it beyond, like, sure, I'll give you a little drink to a two-and-a-half, three-hour commitment of energy, sweat, time, Okay, all of that to say, this stands in total contrast to the culture that we live in today. This is totally different than the generation that we live in. This speaks to a character quality that's missing in our generation today because the generation today is all, what is the least that I can do? Isn't that true? What's the, what is the smallest amount of effort that I have to do to get out of this obligation? In other words, we might say, well, what are you going to do for me first? And then I'll decide, but no. The majority, I mean, I'm not criticizing anybody, but I would just say that the, by and large, the value in our culture and our generation right now is what is the least I can do? And every mother in the room said, amen. <laughs> what is the least I can do? Now, now we all want a mentor in life. We want, we want somebody that would sit down with us. Imagine having a grandmother that was so wise and she just sit down with us and talk to us and tell us the secrets of how to succeed from her own life. I mean, whether you're a man or a woman, or you're young or old, and you had somebody that you could sit down with and would say, listen, I can tell you because, see, these people didn't have the map in front of them. They didn't know, but, but they had this character. And she said this, the way, the fastest way, if she was your mentor, she would say the fastest way to know the character of somebody is what do they do when they're asked for help? What do you do when somebody asks you for help and it's going to cost something of your time or your energy or a resource or some strength and it's going to commit you? What do you do when you're asked to serve, to give, to, to get involved? She says, this is the quickest way to know somebody's character. See, this is what the servant was ultimately looking for. 
I'm looking for someone that will come and love and serve. He's looking. It was a brilliant question. I'm looking for a person of great character. And Ruth would come back and sit down with us. If you want to be successful in life, I mean, the key to success is to have this spirit, this generosity of spirit that says this, I will never, ever miss an opportunity to be generous to somebody. You want to talk about a, a key to success? Commit whatever you do to the Lord and your plans will succeed. You have this spirit like if somebody asks me for something, I will not only do what they ask, but I'll go even beyond that. I will never miss an opportunity to be generous to somebody else. Now, do you understand that actually it's not just Rebecca. This is the whole theme of the Bible. Actually, this is the story of God who goes above and beyond for us from the very beginning. And a God who always gives us more than what we could ever give back to him. It's the story of scripture. It's the theme. In fact, Jesus talked about this more than any other subject. One quarter of all of his teaching had to do with this. He talked about this more than heaven and hell. He talked about half of his parables are about this particular um, theme where he would say crazy stuff, right? Do you remember he would talk and he would say, um, if somebody wants to take your shirt, you give him the shirt and give him your coat as well. Or if somebody wants to, you to carry their stuff for a mile, you go the extra mile or go the second mile. That's where we actually get that phrase today, going the extra mile. It comes from something Jesus said where somebody asks you for something, don't just do what they ask, but go beyond it and do even more. And this way you become like your father in heaven. I mean, for me, just to keep up with Jesus, I would have to talk about this subject one out of every four sermons, okay? This is amazing. It's not just Rebecca, but Rebecca would say, long before Jesus ever came along, I figured it out. And this is, this is why she's in the scripture today. This is why she's in the story. The incredible character that simply said, I will never miss an opportunity to be generous. Now, when the servant sees the way that she responds, when he watches her work and sees everything that she did. Do you know what he did? <laughs> he said, that's the one. Praise God, that is the one. And he ran back to the camels and he starts unloading the expensive goods and the jewelry and runs over, starts putting the jewelry on her and proposes to her right there on behalf of Isaac. Do you know what she said? Yes. I mean, sight unseen, hasn't seen Isaac yet. She says yes, because she didn't even know, but she's watering the camels of a guy who works for the king, and this is the prince. It's like the best fairy tale ever, and you say, oh, that doesn't happen today. Oh, really? Listen, there's a show in Great Britain right now called I Want to Marry Harry, all right? And what it's about is a Prince Harry lookalike. He's not even the prince, but they've tricked 12 American girls to come on the show. And these American girls are trying to compete to who gets to be the one to marry the fourth in line to the British throne. Now, do you know how many American girls tried out for this show? A lot. I mean, like, who doesn't want to marry the prince and be a part of the royal family? Oh, it's 4,000 years and nothing's changed, okay? And so here's this, here's this young woman who just gave a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, a little bit of energy, and all of a sudden, the door of opportunity opens. And the scriptures go on to say that she fell deeply in love with Isaac. And Isaac loved her. And theirs was a special relationship. God had it all designed. It wasn't just about her being greedy. I mean, God had a pathway for her to find the person he had designed for her. And she found it because she had this 
Rebecca would come to you and say, the most important thing that you could do is to develop this character quality of don't ever miss an opportunity to be generous. Why? Just to be a nice person? No. No, it's way bigger than that. Because it's by being a generous person that actually opens the door to the opportunities that God has for you. You have no idea what doors will open when you become the person that God really wants you to be. And so she would come back and say, I had no idea that I would get to marry the prince. It changed my whole life, just those couple of hours. And really not just her life, but it actually became a part of history. We're talking about her today here in Indiana. She would become one of the most famous people in all of the world, the daughter-in-law of Abraham, who would then give birth to a child, who would give birth and so on. She would become the great, 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 37 greats, great-grandmother of the Lord Jesus himself, Savior of the world. God put her right into the path of the Savior. I mean, she becomes part of that line that brings Jesus into the world. Because when it was asked of her, would you help me? Can you give me a little drink of water? And she gave a little cold cup of water, and she had no idea the difference that it was going to make. Rebecca has some things to say to you and me in a culture that has lost the idea and lives by the principle, what's the least that I can do? I think she would come and really talk to us. And it's been so powerful for me. I had my 44th birthday uh, this last Monday. Best birthday I ever had, okay? Best. I was so, I'm not one of those people that gets upset about birthdays. I love birthdays, and this was the best one I ever had. And part of that was because I was with my family, my mom and my dad, my in-laws, and and, and we were all together, and we're just relating. I love hearing the stories, and it makes me so grateful to think about what God has done in, in, my, in my life and in my family and what has been given to me. And I remember we were just talking about my grandfather, John Lynn. You know, John Lynn went to serve God in Africa with my grandmother, and they, 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 God put a love for the East African people in their heart. They lived there for 50-some years serving, giving, investing in people. They weren't famous. Nobody knew during their life, but they impacted so many people and started so many churches that when I did his funeral just a few years ago, thousands of people came from all over the world. And just, it was the longest funeral ever as people packed into that church and one after another, people talked about the investment that John Lynn had made in their life and the difference he'd made in the service and the inspiration and just the words that he said. And it altered the course of their destiny. And I think about that. And I think about how grateful I am. I think about just how, you know, I think about my son in the ministry right here, Devin Riley, sitting on the front row. And how just a little bit of time that he was my neighbor. And I just saw you over there. Here's my neighbor. And we didn't know each other. And just began to spend time with him and to watch the work of God happen in his life. And watch him serve the Lord today and bless his children and become a great man of God. Just by a little bit of time walking over across the fence several years now. See, I am more inspired this week and thinking about all this, I'm more inspired than ever in my entire life to make my life count for God, to, to, make every, to know that every sentence that I say and every act that I do could impact somebody's life for all of eternity. I'm more inspired than ever before. And I hope that I inspire you and I hope I insp- that Rebecca inspires you today. Let her talk to you. Let her, let her speak to you from her own life. 
as she gives you, like, here's some principles that shape the way I think, and I just want to lift them out of, of, of these principles out of Scripture, and she would nod her head and say, that's exactly right. The first one is this. You can't be generous and be grudging at the same time. Impossible. You can't have the spirit of, well, do I have to? I mean, am I obligated? Oh, okay. You can't have that spirit and a generous spirit at the same time. They're opposites. You can't have this sort of give-to-get mentality either. Like, well, okay, I'll do it, but what am I going to get back? And so much of what's taught about God's view of money, even in churches, is so much of this give-to-get principle. I don't know if you've become aware of this. But it's really a disservice to Jesus, this whole, you know, give a little so God can bless you. It's, it's kind of a lie. It's actually the best kind of lie because it's built on a half-truth. Okay, yes, God does want to bless you, but the whole sentence is God wants to bless you to be a blessing to others. So when you decide that God used me to be a blessing to others, that activates God to bless you. So the key principle of the whole thing is your willingness Willingness, I love that. A willing spirit. That's what this church has, by the way. I don't know if you picked it up, but that's the whole nature of Heartland Church, this willingness to serve, to give, to love people well. I mean, gosh, there's such a willing heart. There's no pressure. There's no appeals. There's no guilt. We don't even pass an offering plate in this church. And yet people spontaneously respond and clap and applaud when we say it's time for the offering because there's just a willingness because people are here that say, well, I get it. I love to give. I love that God has blessed me. It's a privilege. It's an honor. I have a job, and he's providing for me, and I want to bless. How can I get more involved in God's kingdom? You think that's... Listen, just this week, I had somebody walk into my office and say, God has blessed us, and we came to you to say thank you, a man and a woman. And they had tears in their eyes telling me how grateful they are for this church and what it's meant to their family, and how excited that it's never, the message is never about paying bills or keeping the lights on or the gas bill. It's, it's, you just talk to us about impact and changing lives, and we see what God is doing. We're so glad to be a part of it, and we want to help you love, lead, launch people into the future, and they're crying and saying thank you to me as they hand me a gift for God's kingdom. I was speechless, humbled, blown away by the willingness and when I see willingness like that, it just fills me with love, as it does the heart of God. Do you know that God loves a willing spirit? In fact, it's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9, verse 7. Take a look at this. Each man gets to decide in his own heart. I mean, it's your decision. Whether or not you'll be generous or grudging, you get to decide. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver, someone who gets excited about the honor and the privilege and the blessing to be a blessing. Now, the verse that follows this, verse 8, should always be kept together because there's a little word and at the front of verse 8, which connects. It's a connecting word. God loves a cheerful giver and God is able then to bless you abundantly. See, when you have the willing heart, that's the trigger for God to say, well, if they're one of those people, well, then okay. So someone who's living their life with the sense of God, use me today to be a blessing to others. God, I have the generous spirit. God, I'll never miss an opportunity to be generous to others. If you think like that, then God says, well, of course you're safe to bless. In fact, he goes on to say, I will bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, whatever you've purposed in your heart to do to bless others, I'll give you more than you need for every good work. That's what that scripture actually says. 
That's powerful. So God says, you put it in your heart to do great things. Put it in your heart to bless others. Put it in your heart to make a difference in your generation. Go on, dream. And set your heart to be cheerful about it. And God says, when you have the right heart, of course I will bless you to be a blessing. That's what Rachel or Rebecca would teach us. And it's a powerful principle. Let me give you the second one where she would say, you can't walk the second mile until you walk the first. That's a, that's a real simple principle. But listen, you can't do great things if you haven't done little things first. The older folks in the room get it. You grew up in a different generation. It was never about, you couldn't just have it now. It was all save, 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 prepare for the future, and then one day. That's not the message today. My parents' generation, you work, you save, and then you reward yourself later. The, the, the message in this generation is you got to have it right now. So all the TV shows, all the movies, uh, all of the leadership, uh, and our government is even saying you have to have it right now. And so that creates problems because then we're all leveraged and there's debt and deficits and, you know, because we, we got it all now. And so then we go around saying things like, well, I would if I could, but I can't, so I won't. And that's only because we thought that generosity had to do with amounts and money, and that's not true. Generosity that Rebecca's talking about is a spirit. It's an attitude of the heart. That whatever you have right now, whatever's in your hands, just do something with that. So what did Rebecca have? Like a jug of water and biceps. That's it. <laughs> and she says, that's all I've got, but I will use that and a little bit of the strength of my body. You see, you've been given resources. And you tend to think your resources are only money, but God's called you to be a steward of all of your resources. So let me ask you the question, how'd, you, how'd this week go? And how's this next week going to go? I mean, what kind of a manager of what God's given you will you be? Like, like, you know, not just your money, but your strength, your body, your mind, your, your touch, your words, all your stuff, anything that you've been given, your gifts and your talents. You know, be faithful with what you have. And as you're faithful in what you have, then God will bless you with more. I mean, it all depends on how faithful you're being today. You can't walk the second mile if you haven't done the first, which is why Jesus would say this, whoever can be trusted with very little Okay, Luke 16, can also be trusted with much. Whoever's dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. So how did you handle the opportunity and what are you going to do with today? Whatever you kind of sow out of your life today is what you'll harvest back tomorrow. So she would say, Rebecca, I only had water and a little bit of sweat equity and I gave up some of my time, which may be your most precious resource today your time, but out of that willing, generous attitude came a reward that she couldn't even have been prepared for. I mean, she couldn't have known what God was going to do through her life and how she would even bless us today. She would say this statement, number three, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. If you just live life for you and for now and invest in temporary things, it just dies with you. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. My father-in-law, who's a great preacher, he says it, I've heard him say it several times, there are no U-Hauls uh, behind hearses, okay? You just cannot, nobody takes it with them. And he actually did a funeral once for a billionaire. Do you know this? He, he did a funeral for a billionaire and the casket was literally, it was a gold casket worth $100,000, just the box the guy was buried in. And it went in the ground and they put dirt on it 
and they forgot it, and I'm not going to tell you where it is, okay? But it actually happened. You can't take it with you. It's like the guy who was this wealthy guy, great miser, wouldn't let any money go to his kids, not going to give any to his wife. And he said this, when I die, I want you to put it in the casket with me. It's all coming with me. What? So she, he died, and the widow's there at the funeral, and everybody's there, and they're about to close the casket, and she gets up, walks over with this box, the bow on it, and she's carrying it over, and she places it on the inside. She closes the box. They close the casket, and she goes back, and her friend's like, are, are you serious? Did you just do what I think you did? Like, you, you, you put it all in the casket with him? And she said, yes, I did. Every last cent. Yep, wrote him a check. And um, <laughs> that's what I think is so brilliant. <laughs> that's a smart woman. Because you can't take it with you, right? You guys never heard that before? That's the oldest story. I love it. You make me feel so good. I feel like I'm such a good speaker. I bring up these old stories. You've heard that before. You're just being nice. Oh, wow. Well, you know, you can't take it with you. You know, there's a little book by the name of a guy, a guy named Randy Alcorn wrote a book called The Treasure Pimple, uh, Principle. I encourage you to get it. If you have never read it, it's a, it's a small little read. Uh, you can get it on Amazon.com. Read The Treasure Principle because this is the point. It says, no, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead into eternity. It's an amazing little book. And it's based on something Jesus said where he said this, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth because rust you know, it just gets buried in the ground, gets forgotten, thieves will steal it. But store up treasure for yourself in heaven, because there it will last forever. Thieves can't get at it, it doesn't decay, it doesn't corrupt, it doesn't, it doesn't rust. And he was giving the greatest insider trading tip ever, <laughs> where he was basically saying, uh, look, have whatever you want to have in this life, but just remember, when I come back to the earth, anything that's left on the planet is going to be worthless at that point. So store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And Rebecca would say, that's what I did. I, I was just giving into this person, this stranger, just to bless his life. I had no idea how I was going to bless future generations. And the last thing she would say when you're asked for help, go ahead and be generous. And this is probably the most important one. Don't wait for the feeling to hit you. Make a decision to be generous, and the feelings will follow that decision. Don't wait around to have this thing hit you where today I feel generous, today I think I will. For the most part, you won't. In fact, generosity costs things. It's expensive. Um, by the way, this principle works for everything. Your feelings lie to you. So when you're tempted, your feelings are lying to you. Live by your principles and not by the pressure of the moment, okay? Don't wait for the feelings of generosity to hit you. Some people will just say, well, you know what? I'm just praying. I don't feel led right now. Listen, you need to get the lead out is what I'm telling you to do. Don't like, don't like wait around for something to hit you. Do you realize the dangerous position you put yourself in? If all you ever give is when you're susceptible to guilt a lot, if that's you. You're susceptible to manipulation. You're susceptible to pressure. You're susceptible to feeling bad a lot. And I'm trying to get you out from under that way of living. That is not the way to live. You want to have a character principle that you've just decided in a calm, pressure-free, no, no uh, guilt zone environment where you sit down one day and maybe with your wife or your spouse, even involve your children, you just say, we're going to have a standard 
of generosity in our lives. We, we're going to have a, a giving covenant that we're going to make with God. I talked about this covenant idea back a few months ago when we were in this marriage series talking about how we don't know about covenant anymore. Covenant says, you know what, I'm not going anywhere. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We started together to finish together. And so I'll even be unhappy for a while if it means we have to stay together to work it out, but I'm not going anywhere. Covenant marriage. Well, you need a decision about that, that regardless of the pressures or what you feel like from day to day, there's just a standard of this is the... This is our standard of generosity. Like, not everything that comes to me is for me. It's, this is the standard that are going to be for others. So in our family, okay, I'll just tell you my story. It doesn't have to be you, or it doesn't, you don't have to do this. I'm just telling you our story, that when I was raised, my mom and dad taught us this simple standard. This, this was our family covenant, that, the, that one out of every ten belongs to the Lord. So if I got a gift of $10 on a birthday, that one dollar belonged to Jesus. And that's just the way that we were raised. And we learned that we limit ourselves below our income because we're always going to have margin to be generous. Well, that's a great principle to put into the mind of a small child. I grew up, found another uh, young lady named Lurie who was raised in a family just like me. We got married and we made the same commitment of our, of our lives that whatever we receive, the first 10% is not even going to be in our budget. We're going to give that to the Lord and live under that with that, with that margin so that we can be generous people, that, that we will give that to the church where we worship. Now, that's been our story all these years. In fact, we included our children in that. But about seven years ago, uh, Lurie and I realized, you know what? It hit us. We're operating by the same standard that we had in our lives when we were tiny little kids, like five and six. Don't you think it's time that we should maybe grow some in our ability to be more generous? And we prayed about it and made a decision one day we were going to increase our giving by 5% at that point. Let me tell you, this, you don't have to do this. This is just my story. But I want to tell you the benefit that had for me and for my wife. It taught us immediately we had to be better managers. We had to follow the budget more closely. We had to be a good steward. We couldn't just go out and do what we felt. We had to live by our commitments. And that produced a reward of success in our lives in terms of how we manage our finances. The second thing it did, which was a surprise to me, was that uh, just, just margin came. Like the more you limit your lifestyle below income, you actually have margin, and margin is where you find peace. And peace is a wonderful thing. And actually joy is in margin, because joy means that I've already reserved to be able to do some really great stuff that blesses the kingdom of God and it just brought great joy. And we added, we started adding a percentage point every year. We're doing that to this day. And again, this is not what you have to do. This is just our story. But I want to tell you that you're going to have to, at some point in your life, decide not to be this emotional, this reactive, this sort of guilt-giving kind of a person. If you want to have the character of generosity, at some point you sit down and you say, what covenant will I make with God that not all of this is for me, some of this is going to be reserved for others, and you make a giving commitment. You make a standard. And really, it is the pathway to peace and freedom and joy. And God opens up opportunities when you live this way that you would have never had had you been living in that old, reactive, what's the least I can do way. Now, the last thing I want to tell you is, is probably the best one. This is what what, uh, these last three little things in the time we have left, I'm going to do them real quick. Give me some help for how I make a decision like this. Rebecca would come along and say, absolutely. Listen to, what, listen to these ideas. 
remember that even the smallest acts of generosity make a huge difference. Now, she would be the first to tell you that. It was just water, just a little bit of time, a little bit of, just, I just had a jug. But in hindsight, it was nothing. I mean, have you ever said to yourself, not going to get those hours back? When you did something and, you know, the time just was wasted and you said, never going to get those hours back. I wonder if she said that about Camel 7. <laughs> not going to get these hours back. But you know what? She, she did. I mean, she got back way more. See, it was a little thing for her. It, had a, it made a huge impact in the heart of this servant. Little thing but so impressed this servant, and he said, that's the one that I'm going to bring back to entrust my master's special son and all of his wealth, and she'll inherit it all. She's the one. See, this is the principle of it's just a small thing for you, but it is a big deal for somebody else. Okay, you go to lunch today, that tip you leave, small thing for you, it is a big deal for that waitress. That hug you give someone on the way out today, small thing for you. It could be the only hug a person had the entire week. You walk over and you pray for somebody. You, you, you just notice that they look a little, maybe they don't have a friend in the world. They just have that look. And you walk over and you say, hey, I care. I want to pray for you. That may be the difference between sanity and somebody losing their mind. You, you have no idea. You just give a little bit of time. Maybe some of you are watching this and you're serving right now. You're holding a little baby in a nursery. You know, God bless all of the hundreds of people that serve one and, and worship one every week at this church who understand that it's just a small thing, a little act. I, could, I came in and I, I put some cones in the parking lot. I've helped park cars. I, I served by playing an instrument, I running a camera. I, I, I sat on the floor and talked to fifth graders, hardest job in the world. Told them a story about Jesus. Planted a little anchor. It was a small thing for me. But you have no idea what's going on in the heart of that little kid that will never forget the investment that you made for the rest of their life. Who maybe doesn't have a dad at home, but sat with a man that actually looked at him and said that he cared. That one little hour for you, no big deal, changing a kid's life. It's a small thing. See, Jesus got this principle when he said this. If any of you give even a cup of cold water, I think he was thinking about Rebecca. To even one of these little ones, because he is my disciple. Any disciples of Jesus in the room today? You'll never lose your reward. In fact, he, he says, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back above and beyond. Not only in this life, but in eternity, but in this life. In this life. Because some of you have really hard hearts and nothing moves you. And you haven't cried in a long time. And you're kind of tough. And you've just built up big walls. And you start blessing other people. When I tell you that a few years from now, if you follow Jesus and let him into your life and just start saying yes to him, you won't even recognize yourself a few years from now. And there'll be a beauty on the inside, a softness and a, a beautiful person that comes out. And you won't even recognize yourself. Can you imagine the impact? There's like a 3,000 people that flow in and out of our influence on a monthly basis here at Heartland Church. So imagine every little boy, every little girl, I mean, you could be six years old and you fully understand this message. Or you're a grandma or a mom or a dad or a single person parent. And every one of us said, we're going to give something to someone today. In fact, that's how we evaluated the success of our day. Who did I bless today? Who did I give to today? 
Imagine 3,000 deposits in our community every single day. The impact that would have over time, it's a little thing, but it can be a huge thing. And I think Rebecca would come along and she would say something like this. What I invest in people now is going to outlive me. That's right. What you do now, you have no idea. I, I thank God. This is why I'm always thanking my mom and dad and thanking my, I have such a grateful spirit for what's been given. I really have no idea the blessed life I live simply because of choices they made. And I want to thank God for men and women of character who realize that little eyes are always watching and to finish well is one of the greatest gifts a person can ever give the next generation. I want to thank God for for people who, who sowed into the lives of others and transmitted a DNA to love people well. I mean, love is in the details. Do you understand that? That it's not just about saying it. It's about noticing little details and saying, I'm going to do something about that. Ministry is just meeting people's needs with love. That's why I've been speaking to our staff and all of our leaders as I see the opportunity of the fall that's just in front of us. And I'm saying, let's just raise the bar of our excellence. Let's just give more and do more. Let's be more attentive to every single detail because you never know how it's, I mean, even just parking a car. God bless the people who just park cars today because there are people that show up at church looking for one excuse, the guilt and shame that they carry. One excuse to turn the car around and somebody's smile and their acceptance and just their little attitude of, hey, you came to the right place today and they came in and they heard God speak to them and their life got changed. We all share in that together. All of us share and we don't even see what's going on. We're changing people's lives for generations to come. I thank God for the pastors that God put in this city long before I came. Men and, and women of God who prayed, who labored, who worked the soil in people's hearts for... I mean, I think of a guy named Russ Blowers who pastored in this city for 40 years. I don't know if any of you know him, but he was an incredible man of God who just sowed into the ground. We're reaping the benefits of that man's labor today. Or a guy named Tommy Pano who pastored for 30 years in this community. Or a pastor named Pastor Joe Freeman who worked here in Fishers, Indiana for 30 years. We're reaping stuff that we didn't even sow. In fact, this is a scripture. Look at this. Look at this amazing verse. I mean, I just say, this is us when I read this. I sent you to reap what you didn't work for. Others have done the hard work. See, that's us. And we've reaped the benefits of their labor. When you see God working through our church, it's because other people uh, let us stand on their shoulders. Other people blessed us. And we're just reaping the rewards of that. You have no idea how far your generosity will go. And the last thing, when I give, I'm not just giving to people. I'm really giving to, to Jesus. I'm giving to God. So you hold that little baby, you're holding Jesus in your arms. You feed the homeless today. You're feeding Jesus. You share God's love to a little child. You're really doing it to Jesus. You, you give any bit of yourself in that above and beyond way, a little bit more than what I was asked to do. And you come with that spirit. Jesus says, I see that and you're doing it unto me. And he leaves you with this. I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, brothers and sisters, look what he said, you were doing it unto me. Doesn't that inspire you? Isn't that the best thing yet, that God doesn't mix one act of our generosity? You can go again and clap for him. He's worthy of it. I just want to inspire you. I think... I think Rebecca would inspire you to let every day of your life count. Don't miss a day. Don't miss an opportunity to be generous to somebody else. Live your life 
for something bigger than you and greater than you. You'll be happier. Doors will open. God will do things through you that will outlive you. And in the end of the day, you're blessing Jesus Christ himself who says, I will repay. I will bless you both in this life and in the life to come. Do you receive this this morning? I know that you do. Can you just bow your heads for just a moment? I want to lead you in a prayer. Even those who are watching online, I want to pray for you that God will speak to your heart today. That you won't just be all emotional, right? I mean, this is decision time. Make a, a simple, clear decision in your heart. I mean, just ponder this. This isn't about being all fired up. This is just, let's make a decision. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I pray for every person in this room. There would be a moment of clarity here. Help every one of us to live lives that make an eternal impact. Give us the desire, Lord. I pray that we would never miss an opportunity to give generously to others. I pray you just pour out a spirit of generosity upon your people. Open their eyes. Make them attentive to detail. Those are the very opportunities where we can become your hands and feet. I pray that you just inspire us to be just like you. And if you say, Darren, I want that in my life. Listen, you can have that today. You're one sincere prayer away. I mean, the story of the Bible is God so loved the world that he gave. You could feel far from God. You could feel shameful and guilty. And God loves you. He gave his life for you, took punishment on him so that you don't have to receive the punishment on you. He gave you his grace. And so all you do now is you give your life to him. That's the generosity principle. He gave his life for you. And I wonder how many of you have actually prayed this prayer, prayed it this way. Maybe you've said, yes, I believe in Jesus, forgive me. But giving your life to him means a prayer like this. God, I give you all of me. Like it's all yours. Like everything that I am, all that I have, all my talents, all my abilities, all my resources, my job, my family, Lord, all of it. Lord, it's all yours. I'll be your servant. I'll live for you. I mean, that's the generous heart right there. Have you ever prayed that? Oh, it's just a sincere prayer away. Just pray it with me. Jesus Christ, I give you me. I, I give you my, my mouth to say words of encouragement. I give you my hands to write and to text and to, to touch. I give you my wallet. I give you my job. I give you my opportunities. Lord, I want you to lead me. I, I pray that you'd give me the spirit to never miss an opportunity to bless others. And I know that I've done many things that are wrong. Maybe you've backslid. Maybe you're far from God today in your own heart. Listen, I read a scripture this morning that says that if you'll humble yourself and repent, he'll answer your prayer. So just be humble. Lord, just, I'm sorry. I've, I've ran away from you. I've been drifting. Say that to him today. God, I give you me, and I ask you to use me for your glory. Holy Spirit, for every person making this decision, Lord, I pray that you'd fill them with your spirit, give them peace, give them joy, give them strength, give them clarity. May this be the best decision they've ever made. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Hey, will you just, let's praise the Lord. Stand together with me. Let's worship him one more time.